Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, radio check. Now, radio check for order. Power is a go. 50,000 watts. Oh, What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. It's WBZ, you're Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. And I have as a guest, a friend of mine and a friend of yours. You actually may have gotten something free from this gentleman. <laughs> it's WBCN's uh, Chachi Lopret. WBCN and much, much more. Well, good WZLX evening, Bradley, and well. good morning, Bradley. Good morning. It's great to be here with yes. you, my dear friend who I've known for 30-plus years. Yeah, I know. Do you remember the first moment we met? For, let me give the background on Chachi. Sure. Please do. Chachi, long-time promotions person, marketing person at uh, B- WBCN, WZLX, Boston's only classic rock. And uh, what else? A Beatles expert, historian, super fan. Thank you very much. I appreciate the introduction. Yes, I started out at WBCN. It was a dream for me. And I was in the studio that night. and uh, We first like, met. I think um, it was a Saturday night. It was December 18, 1981. Are you kidding? At so you know 4 a.m. <laughs> because it was my birthday. Ah, so there you go. Happy birthday. Your birthday's coming up. And I did my first shift. And Chachi, my first shift ever on commercial Boston radio. And... Chachi was there. I was there because uh, I was producing, I'll say that loosely, uh, for Carla Nolan, who was on the air. And she was telling me, well, there's, there's a guy coming and he's starting tonight. His name's Bradley. Right. Bradley. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay. And you came walking in wearing a cowboy hat. That's right. We'll never forget it. I still wear cowboy hats and I'm wearing cowboy boots now. <laughs> you are. You are wearing so cowboy at that boots. time, you were, you were just. You worked the listener line. You were starting to graduate to, quote, producer. And I want to talk about the listener line because there at WBC, the listener line was a big deal, right? So oh a, lot of you, a lot of you folks remember the listener line. Yes. What was the number? Five three six eight thousand. Uh, yeah, for years and years and years, so. and years and years and years and years. And the listener line was more than well. It was not just one thing. It was a. It was where you would win tickets. It was where you would request songs that would actually get played, and it's where you would. Ask for information. There was a set of encyclopedias, I remember, in the listener line. If you needed a ride, we had the ride board. If you needed, you were going to New York and you needed a ride and you didn't want to hitchhike, we would connect you with people who were going to different destinations. Things were lost, different now. We couldn't do that. Yes. It's a liability. We would connect them and say, hey, this person needs a ride. And they, instead of hitchhiking, they go. We'd have a, a lost pet book. If you lost a pet, call us. Uh, if you needed to call the suicide hotline, well, we had the number for you. And we took requests, 
and put you on the air with the DJs. And it was one of the greatest days of my life when I first started because um, there was a waiting list of 200 people plus to be on the list waiting line. to volunteer on the 24-hour listener line. No kidding. And they always had two people on, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for free. For free. And I've, I, um, well, it goes so, I mean, it, it, this is such a long story, but it goes back to when I first saw the Beatles on December 9th, 1964. How are those connected, the listener line and the Beatles? Well, BCN yeah. and the Beatles. Um, I was seven years old watching... The Ed Sullivan Show, yeah. December 9th, 1964. The Beatles were coming on at 8 o'clock, and everyone at school was talking about it. And hey, uh, you'd never seen them before? No, it was the very first time. Oh, you wow. know, we had heard them on the radio because they had just begun to be played. I want to hold your hand. What school did you go to? One. I grew up in Cambridge and uh, and went to Haggerty School, Russell School, and uh, Ringe Tech, Ringe High School, which is now Cambridge Ringe and Latin. Okay, so it's 8 o'clock, pretty kind of late. Not not real late. And but everyone knew about it. Everyone was listening, and everyone at school was talking about it before it happened and the day after. And I distinctly remember it. We were in the backyard. My older brother fell in a, a pole that was sticking out where the tomatoes were in the backyard. Yeah. This pole went into his eye. He oh, had to go man. to the hospital. He stayed overnight, and they wheeled in the TV for him to watch. Really? And at home, uh, my parents and my older brother and sister, we all watched, and it, it was just an unbelievable moment. And I saw Ringo up on the riser. And I saw these three guys playing music, and the girls are screaming, and I said, I want to be a Beatle. Yeah. It was and more than just the, about the Beatles. This was your first real introduction to the power of rock and roll. It was the first, because prior to that, you know, my mother was listening to Tony Bennett and, and the Italian singers, you know, uh, and the crooners, that kind of stuff. And Andy Williams. Andy Williams. You know, so we were living music through our parents. Yeah. But this was our first time where we actually, we became our, we came into our own. We had our own band. We had our own thing. We were in on something that our parents could not understand. <laughs> and they were taken <laughs> aback by it. Yeah. And the hair and everything. And I saw, What did the parents say? Do you remember their comments? Um, I don't remember distinctly, but I remember my, my father saying, you'll never grow your hair that long. And you said, okay. And I kind of like shrugged and, and just turned back to the television. <laughs> uh, but it was an amazing night, and everyone talked about it for weeks after that, and I was an official Beatle fan from that moment on. I wanted to be Ringo, and I'm getting to where the BCN part ties in. So, Wait, I, why did you want to be Ringo? How did you... Uh... I, he looked like he was having the most fun. Okay. He was up on a riser okay. playing this drum kit, and I seemed to have a... You know, a uh, an ability to play drums yeah. rather than guitar. My brothers took up guitars. Yeah. I took up drums. Yeah. And I wanted to be Ringo. And so as time went on through the 60s, I was in these stupid little bands, of course. And What's the name of one of the, one of the bands? JoJo and the Blue Jays. JoJo I, I was and a Blue the Jay. Blue Jays. That's great. <laughs> I, I was a Blue Jay. <laughs> What's another name for another, one of the bands? Uh, uh, Red Fescue. <laughs> <laughs> stupid names. No. Uh, JoJo and the Blue Jays is not yes. stupid. JoJo and the Blue Jays are out of sight. We had our own theme song, and I used to sing. Uh, I was the lead singer. Yeah. I wasn't playing drums there because Joe played the drums. Okay. But in any case, I, I wanted to be a Beatle, and uh, as time went by, I realized, you know, I can't be a Beatle because there's already Beatles, and I'm not that good. But then I was listening to the AM radio all the time, BZ, yeah. MEX, 
RKO, all playing music back then. Mm-hmm. And I heard DJs interviewing the Beatles, and, and it was around, you know, going into high school, late 60s, uh, early 70s. And I said, you know, if I can't be a Beatle, I want to meet him. And the best way I can meet them is to be a DJ. Yep. So I started studying how to be a DJ. Yeah. I worked at the Cambridge Public Library in the early 70s, and I would read books about how to read commercials and so on. Yes, this yeah. is excellent. And, and, I, and so then the 70s rolled around, and we discovered that there was something more than the AM dial. It was the FM dial. And everyone was talking about this station called WBCN. Groundbreaking station, no fast-talking AM jocks, uh, songs that went deeper into the catalog, not repeating every five, ten minutes. And they talked slow instead of fast. Yeah, and they had something to say, and I, I would listen to this guy, Charles Laquadera. Yeah. And I was like, my God, this guy's unbelievable. He was weird. He was weird, <laughs> and he was interesting, and he was funny. After his show, Matt Siegel w- yeah. was the midday guy. Yeah. That's how far back it was. Mm-hmm. And Matt Siegel was great. And uh, then Ken Shelton came in. And and I was just taken by this radio station called WBCN. So all through the 70s, I would listen. And at 6.30 in the morning, Charles would do the album Du Jour and play a whole album side. And then they'd play Michigas and just funny and, and talking about social issues. And it was just an amazing time. And then... I graduated high school, went to work at Polaroid in 1976. Polaroid in Cambridge? Oh, yeah. Everyone was saying, you know, your life is set for you, Larry. You're working at Polaroid now. You can work there till you retire, and you'll drive off into the sunset wealthy. And and obviously that was wrong. It became a penny stock. But by 1980, I was, uh, I was really sick of it. And um, I wrote a letter to Charles Laquadera. Yeah at my desk at Polaroid. Wow. I said, I love you, Charles. I love BCN. I love radio. I always wanted to work in radio. I always wanted to work in radio. I said, I have a job, but I'll, and I know you're on the air, but if I'll come in at any hour and do anything. See, that's what around. it's all about. It's what it's all about. And you can't do that anymore today. And so, unbelievable as it seems, I got a call not long after that by, from a woman named, a girl named Nancy Monaco, I think is her name. And uh, she once told me that uh, Frank Sinatra was her uncle. And she said, Charles got your letter. He thought it was great. He thought you were very cute. She said, your letter's very cute. And, you know, we have 200 plus people on the listen line list, so I don't know when I can bring you in, And but he really wants you to come in. So are you available this Saturday night? Yeah. And that's how it started. I went in on Saturday night at 7 p.m. and I left at 7 a.m. Colin Nolan was the overnight jock, and I gave her a ride home in my car. And not long after that, she said, you want to produce my show? And Produce then, my show. What did that mean at the time? That meant picking her up because I had a car, and she didn't. <laughs> she lived in downtown Boston. Yeah. You remember where she lived. Yeah. So I'd pick her up and drop her off. Uh, I worked at Polaroid, so I had a few bucks so I could you know, get some food and stuff. Yeah. And I was reliable. Right. And I had a beard and I had big hair and she used to call me Lawrence the Bear was my nickname. And you also had to do um, pick records or oh, put yeah, records pick the away. Records, pick, her, pick the records. Yep. And pick the, um, the commercials out of the rack. The rack. I remember once that she said, okay, and it was great because you could play anything back then. Yeah. She said, uh, okay, Lawrence, well, what, do you, what should we start the show with? And I said, you know, my favorite Beatles song is I'm a Loser. And she says, okay, you want me to start my show and play the song I'm a Loser? No way. <laughs> it's like... Good point. Yeah, so, that was your first lesson. <laughs> yes, my first lesson. And then, uh, and not long after that, you came in. 
Yeah. So this uh, guy Bradley's so coming you in. So you were uh, 80. I was 81. You were 81. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was my first year uh, working for free. Yep. But still, you couldn't have been happier. Oh, it was the best. I'd go to work at Polaroid at 7 a.m. and then go to BCN at like 3, 4 in the afternoon. I remember going in the rain to pick up tacos for Lisa Collin. Remember Lisa Collin? Yeah. And uh, I would do anything. I never made my producers get food. And I never did that with my interns. I never let them get me coffee and nothing. I told, yeah. I objected to that kind of thing. But it was a little different back then. You know, it was like you were doing this for rock and roll. You were doing it for the radio station. and You were doing it because it was fun. Yes. It was something I would love to do. And I can't remember. And then I, I got my first job at BCN was driving a van. One Only one van we had. I befriended this guy named Tank, who was Charles's right-hand man. He yeah. was on the air. With, I mean, he, he was the morning show producer. He did sports. And he was in charge of broadcasts throughout the day. So if he was working, like, in the morning from 4 a.m. to 10, and there was an afternoon broadcast, he'd have to come back and do the, and engineer the broadcast. So uh -huh. he, he was working hard. There was one van. It was just him as a van driver. And he said, hey, you want to drive the van with me? And you go out and and pocket shows and i'm like yeah was that for pay yet yeah it was like it was a couple bucks an hour yep. it was very low but that's your first but you know what you drive hey. around the streets of boston back in the day in the bcn van and you were a celebrity yeah you know people were waving hey! pulling you over you got any t-shirts oh my god it was it was crazy you have tickets and the thing is you did have tickets i did <laughs> but you know no and one t-shirts and everyone was listening to wbcn back then. yeah it was great days of radio and tank hired me in 81 to drive the van and then the greatest day of my life was November 23rd, 1982. A gentleman by the name. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. David Bieber uh -huh. hired me to be his assistant. Wow. And you were assistant promotions director. Director to David Bieber, a genius. I know he's been on this show before. I'm sure he's listening now. I hope so, because I, lo I love him. I love Tank, too. But Bieber, something about David that's different. He is, he is such an interesting mind. Uh, he can talk on any subject. And he's just begun, I think he's just come into his own now. He's huge now. I know. Everybody wants to know David Bieber. That's true. And I'm one of those people. Yeah. And I said, I haven't been going out much because of my weird hours. Mm -hmm. But David recently got me out of that bad cycle and get, he's getting me out. And I said to him, tell me when anything's going on. And he does now. By the way, what's going on next, David? Okay. <laughs> so you got this job. You get paid. You're, this is a, you're, a, you're management now. So what happened was I would go home to my parents and... and, and uh, I told him I'm quitting Polaroid. What? You're crazy. What are you doing? 
it's like I got a job in radio. It's I'm so excited. I'm going to be working at WBCN. I took a significant pay cut. They weren't happy, um, but I did it. It's the archetypical rock rock and roll story. Yeah, and it's like it's like quitting your job to be in a band. Same yes, basic thing. Exactly. But BCN was it. You know, I remember when Sgt. Pepper came out, you'd walk around in Cambridge and Boston and every radio had BCN on. Everyone was playing that album. And so I was a huge Beatle fan throughout those years. Yep. And so I started as promotions assistant doing such great, memorable promotions. Yeah, this is uh, the memorable promotions part of the program. <laughs> okay. It is. It is. And so I wanted to go through them. And this is where I want to reach out to you folks listening and do the whole brush with BCN. We sometimes do brushes with greatness. Many, 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 many of you have had brushes with Chachi, mm -hmm. brushes with BCN people. Yep. Uh, maybe they won tickets. Yep. Maybe you went to a show for free. Mm -hmm. Maybe you went to the WBCN 20th birthday party with a free Aerosmith show. Worcester Centrum. Is that insane? Worcester Centrum. Yeah. Tony Berardini and I drove out to Worcester and picked up all the tickets, every ticket, and we went and bought a safe and put the safe in Tony's office and locked <laughs> all the tickets up in there. How many tickets? Well, uh, 14,000. And how? what size suitcase does that take? It was a huge, uh, huge box, uh, and all of them were all elastic together in different sections. Yeah. And we brought them all back to the station, put them in a safe, and gave them all away on the air. 14,000. Amazing. We went everywhere, giving them away on the streets and on the air. It was a spectacular show, too. It was there the are great show. photos from that. There are. I have many photos of you and I with many celebrities that we worked with at WBC. You know what? Can you take photos of the photos? Yeah, I have them all them? on my phone. I'll send them to you. Oh, they're already on your phone. Yeah, yeah, you I had them all downloaded. Them. Yes, I did digitize them. <gasps> good, good, good. But it was a. Uh, was... I forget all that happened. So do you? You can't remember. There's I so do. much happened. You can't. You can't remember. Because we were talking before we were coming on, and you were talking about some of the promotions we did, and I'm like, we did. I don't remember that. Yeah. But... So. Uh, let's talk about some others. Sure. Bowie, David Bowie at Ford Apache. Ford Apache Studios. We did many promotions with Bowie. Um, and we had a small studio audience in the studio at a Ford Apache, and Bowie was there. It was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. He uh, met everybody, took pictures. He great. did five songs acoustically with Reeves Gabrels, his guitarist at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was really super friendly, right? Yes. That was what, you, what strikes you about him. He's yes. a monstrously famous and influential guy. But... He's so friendly. He was very friendly, and we've met him many times. I distinctly remember the promotion backstage at Gillette Stadium, where you and Oedipus are in... Uh, oh, that was, was that the first Gillette? time, 1983, that's the Let's Dance Tour. And you guys were very excited because you took his cigarette uh, butts out of the ashtray. We went in his, uh, yeah, <laughs> the limousine and took his cigarette butts. <laughs> but, you know, David Bowie, to you, was like the Beatles to me. Yeah. And you're, you're a huge did the same thing. It was the same thing, by the way. When you saw the Beatles, you felt like there are possibilities in life? Yes. Same thing for me with Bowie. Same exact thing. I'm sure and probably it was. that's the rock, the value of rock music, mm -hmm. or one of them anyway. Well, we did many promotions with Bowie, and uh, what a great guy. I have a bunch of different pictures with him from different things we did. And he, he loved BCN. Uh, brush with BCN. Free tickets, went to a show, maybe you saw one of us on the street. Maybe It was really important for us to go out. I don't think people do that in radio like they used to. Our mm -hmm. boss said, you have to get out. Part of your job is to go out and that go to it. shows and be seen. And part of your job is to get on that stage, take that microphone, and MC these bands and say the call letters. You need to be up. 
you know, out yeah. there. Remember we used to do the Rock and Roll Rumble, and it would be at Spit, and Matt Schaefer, who named me Chachi, uh, would sit at the bar, and he'd have a piece of paper, and he'd write the name down of everyone who came to the Rumble that night, and if you didn't come... Tony already would talk to you the next day. Why didn't you come to the Rumble last night? Matt Schaefer <laughs> kept a list. Say, Matt Schaefer, why'd you keep that list for? Did they tell him to keep the list? Yeah, he would say, I did there not know that. List. That's what I recall. Wow. Yeah, because it was important for all the jocks to get out, experience the bands, yeah. the songs, I mean, the music. We had to so know you the music could, to talk about it. You would on get the air. tickets to all the shows because they wanted you to talk about it the next day. Well, actually, as you know, we didn't need tickets. That's true, too. After you would just say, hey, and go in the back door. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Yep. Didn't need no stinking ticket. <laughs> That's true. Didn't need drink tickets though. They, you didn't back need drink in the day, tickets. You got drink tickets. Those are dead too. Those you are didn't dead too. drink, but people, people did. People get were drink drinking, and drink tickets were very important. And you know what? The clubs just provided them because uh, when when you guys talked on the radio yeah. and, and said something about spit or whatever venue or band, it was important, and people listened. We have John and Saugus might have a brush with. BCN. Hey, how are you? Hey, say hi to Chachi. Hey, Chachi, how you doing? Hey, John, good to talk to you. Good evening. Hey, good talking to you. Hey, I, I got a little BCM memory. I don't know if you remember, but um, remember the big dog up on Route 1 in Saugus? Sure do. Um, you guys, <laughs> BCN had this uh, on the coldest day of the year, right? They had a contest to stand outside in your underwear for Patriots <laughs> tickets. <laughs> I and, remember uh, that. And me and my buddy went out there, right? We stood in our underwear, and no one would give up. So they ended up uh, canceling it. They had the ambulances there checking us and stuff. And it was down to four of us, and none of us would give up. So they ended up just raffling off the tickets, which kind of aggravated us. But they they couldn't do that. I mean, they they had to give the prize. Well, we did give the prize away, but... I don't recall the specifics, but I would suggest that in the rules it said after a certain amount of time you go to to raffle it. But it was so long ago, I hardly remember it. But I do remember the Big Dog uh, bar. Yeah. How long did you stay out there? I forget, but it was a while. I want to say it was like, you know, it, it got ridiculous, like 18 minutes, I think. Oh, or something crazy. You can't do that and, anymore. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they won't let you yeah. do that stuff anymore. I will say yeah. that... Um, People, you, they were brave. It was promotional. You guys were super brave. And also, I want to get in here, Ernie Buck Jr. Yes, he was brave too, because yeah. there are issues of liability and all. And he did all kinds of stuff at his. We did a lot of place. stuff with him back when you know. <laughs> I remember once we had a giant pumpkin and we flew it in by helicopter. Didn't tell the Norwood police, and we told everyone to come down to Ernie's place, the new to you uh, lot on Route One, the Auto Mile. And watch us drop a pumpkin. And then we had this giant helicopter come in, lift up the pumpkin in a net up about, uh, I don't know how high it went. They let the net go and the pumpkin came down. Norwood police showed up. They were angry because it stopped traffic all over Route 1. And uh, we didn't ask for a permit or anything. You didn't ask for permits back then. You just did it. And And didn't people get hit by pumpkin shrapnel? Oh, that's, that happened. Um, And then, you know, remember we did the thing, we tried to do it at, uh, at Kowloon maybe. They shut us down there, and then we were traveling from t- figuring out from town to town where to drop the next pumpkin, and we were getting press all along the way. Who's going to allow BCN the chance to drop this pumpkin? Because every city so would just shut pre- us down. that's pretty genius, man. Because everyone well, showed up. 
I was there for the Santa drop too. Remember that? I do. I was the telling San- Bradley the about Santa that. Drop. We had a live Santa. <laughs> did did he land on the roof or did he miss the roof? I can't remember the roof of the car dealership. I think it's yeah. Where it was. He missed the roof. It was in Lynn, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, I think. <laughs> he, was, he was an actual skydiver. Santa. He's a skydiver. Skydiving Santa. He jumped out of a plane, I think, and. Uh, and he's supposed to land on the roof or something, and he missed the roof. I can't quite remember. He, he missed he missed the target. You know, I, I had a lot of good memories with BCM, but uh, that on the Santa drop day, I ended up getting a bag of CDs, and uh, one of them was Alice in Chains, which you know back then they were just uh, you know up and coming. You yeah, know, that was a good one. All yeah. right, John, I appreciate that. Uh, John, that was great, man. I forgot all about that. Yeah, other promotions. And this is uh, significant because you don't see them anymore, and it's it's amazing that these happened. Yes, and people, as it, you did, they didn't ask ahead of time. They no. didn't get the permits. You just went for it. Yes, that was kind of a cool thing about BC, and they just went for it and dealt with it afterwards. Well, it was it was there was just new ground. No one was doing yeah. this stuff, and you know when you ask permission, they usually say no. I think there was a van drop, and my my memory is that I wrote a formal. They used to have this proposal letterhead. Do you remember that? I wrote a proposal for. I wrote a few proposals. And I think, I like to think, it's my memory that I had the idea to drop the van, whether it's really true or not. But there was a great big van. It was an Extendo van. It was Wicked Yellow. Wicked Yellow. And they took, picked it up in the crane and dropped it. That was amazing because there were thousands of people there, and they were ripping parts of the van off to take home as souvenirs. I remember a guy uh, taking a, a the door yeah. home, putting it in his car. They were ripping parts of the van to keep as a memento. I bet you David Bieber has a part of that van. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know if he does. But that would we... be a real hole in his collection if he doesn't. <laughs> yes. He's, he's going, darn, <laughs> darn. But we dropped a piano. That was another one. Oh, jeez. And I remember telling Tony Bennett that, and he got very angry at me, because I was friends with Tony. Uh, and uh, I told him, hey, Tony, we're dropping a piano from a, from a, a crane 100 feet in the air. Hey, what are you doing that for? It's like, well, it's a big promotion. You dropped turkeys. You don't break instruments. We dropped turkeys. Or we dropped little papers that gave you a free turkey. We used to hire Les Nessman to come in to uh, do the uh, narration as we dropped turkeys from a helicopter. And I remember that the, uh, the Animal Rescue League was calling us, all those animal rights groups, you can't drop turkeys. But they were actually paper turkeys with prizes stapled to them. Genius. And we hired Les Nessman for two or three years. He'd come in and narrate just like they did on KRP. And fireworks. Huge thing. The BCN fireworks. It was on, in September to get the attention of new kids coming to college. Labor Day. Around Labor Day, we would do our annual fireworks. It would cost us almost close to six figures to do it back then. And we would have a boat for clients with the best food. And we'd be right on the harbor, and we'd have a huge fireworks display set to music. Yeah, I was the one that operated the music. <laughs> I, I, I did. I was at the station. It was on 21-minute cuts. And Tom Sandman, the great Tom Sandman, would coach me on what to do. Do this, do this, do this. And he'd be on the phone. Now it's all electronically timed out and synchronized. But then uh, Tom would be at a headquarters on the phone. He'd be watching fireworks he had a, like a sheet he knew what was going to happen he's say okay Bradley now ready push cart number four in five seconds five four <laughs> three two one and that was the most stressful thing I've ever done very stressful life. very stressful I know I can I know how it is uh, that was <laughs> that was amazing and uh, we did that for many years yeah 
And that was the last time I was on a boat officially because I had no problem getting on boats back then. Yeah. But then there was one fireworks display and it was raining. Yeah. And I got so ill on that boat. Really? And I've never been on a boat since. Well, um, my beautiful bride, Stephanie, and I will go to Martha's Vineyard on the ferry okay. to ride our bikes, and that's about it. All right. And I have to stare down at the floor. And Do you have a place up. there? No, we don't have a place I'm there. just checking, because I would go stay there. <laughs> now, there were trips for, for uh, listeners and for personalities alike. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Sometimes both would go. For example... There was a trip to Moscow for uh, two jocks and two winners in each of 25 markets. I got to go to Moscow to see the Stones. So you went to the Stones did not play, but they went anyway. So wait a minute, the Stones didn't play? No, they played in Copenhagen. So they had to ferry the people from oh, I uh, see. Helsinki to Copenhagen and then to... Moscow. And you continue to travel the world to that this kinda day. That kind of got the bug. God gave me the bug. I see on your Facebook feeds and stuff that you go to these places all over the world. My friend and, calls them loser countries. And I sit there and I go, how does he go there? How can he do that? I mean, I'm a, I don't travel much anymore. All it takes is you get on the, you go to the airport and get on a plane. That's, I know. That's all you You're do. outside of the country. <laughs> yeah. you, what was the strangest place you've been to? Uh, Romania. Rom- you went to Romania. Yeah. In those little towns in Romania are very, very weird. Here's what I know about Romania. Absolutely nothing except that when I was a kid, I collected stamps, and I had a lot of stamps from Romania. That's the only thing I know about it. But I see these pictures, and I'm like, my God, why doesn't he just go to Revere Beach? I've been to Revere Beach for a row, row, Revere. Another, oh, another BCN. BCN. Row, row to Revere. I have the row, uh, the, the oar, the oar, I should say. You have the, and yeah. one uh, exciting moment there was, uh, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Carter Allen was in a canoe broadcasting. Yes. And a canoe tipped over and lost all, all the equipment or something. Don't recall that. And I think probably John Mulaney was there, the same John oh, yeah. Mulaney that still works for us now. And I will tell you, before I worked at BCN, I would follow Charles around on his different promotions. I'd go to the blood drive at the Science Museum. Yeah. And I used to watch this guy do all the engineering and I'd say I want to do what he does and it was John Mulaney really and then I started at BCN I'm like I don't want to be an engineer (laughs) but but I used to watch John in those very early days before I got hired at BCN I do want to give John credit um, a lot of credit he really cared about the broadcast sure he would come up with ideas they were almost programming ideas that helped with the broadcast Mm -hmm. like like probably taking the wireless mic in a golf cart that's the kind of thing he would have thought of sure he he said, "Let's do this. This will sound good." Yeah, put them put the mic near where the pumpkin's gonna fall. Yeah, so you can get that sound. So, John Mulaney, if you're out there, thank you. And even if you're not out there, you'll listen to the podcast and you'll hear this. You'll hear that now. Famous <laughs> people you got to meet. You oh, got to meet word. probably more than anyone. Well, well no, except no. for Oedipus, maybe you you met a lot of people. I met a lot of people, but um, I've met uh, people like Robert Plant, um, um, the Who, Roger Daltrey. 
uh, President uh, Carter. Remember, I mean, anyone you he came to BCN. They all came to BCN. Yes, uh, President Carter came because he was promoting a book on fishing, uh, and you never knew who you'd run into in yeah. the studio. Brian Wilson. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, Brian Ferry of Roxy Music. Brian Ferry, one of my favorite bands. Uh, we, um, I got to meet a lot of people because when I did the midday, it was it was a time when BCM was was asking every artist who was anybody to come by and perform acoustically or yeah. even even plugged in. Mm -hmm. So Elvis Costello sat down, oh, you know, Elvis like Costello. six feet away. Tori Amos, I can't I can't think of them all. L lesser bands like Cake. Sublime mm -hmm. did a set, and they were fully plugged in, and it was wildly loud. I remember Green Day played in the studio. Green Day. And the drummer was playing with his hands when he hit the cymbal, and the cymbal went between his forefinger and middle finger. And cut him? And sliced him. Ah. Oh. And he had a gig that night. Oh, jeez. And they had to take him to the hospital to wrap it up, but they had the whole band playing full equipment in the studio. Amazing. I think Eminem... I know Eminem came by. I don't recall that. I do. I have a little Eminem story, and then I'll move on. So he came in. So I went to the gig with the Middle East, and Eminem was on stage, and he was brand new. He was doing his slim, shady thing. And he, was, he had his posse on stage, and his posse kept, well, twice, kicked the plug of the turntables out. So he'd be like, oh, you know, beating them all bad. And then brrr, twice the turntables would slowly wind down. <laughs> we have Greg in Salem. Oh, yeah. Massachusetts. Boom. Hi, Greg. Hey, Greg. Hey, how you doing, Bradley? Good. Say hi to Chachi. Hi, Chachi. How you doing, buddy? The White Album, 50 years ago. 50 years ago on Sunday. This past Sunday, it was released in the United States of America. What an album it they, was. Where did they first release it to? UK got it a few days, uh, maybe a little bit earlier than we in did. In the United States. It was, where? Where was it released? I was walking up Calligraph Avenue in Berkeley, California, two blocks from campus. There's a big tractor trailer. And there's a reporter with a TV camera crew. And I walked up to him. They weren't doing anything yet. I said, what are you reporting on? The arrival of the new Beatles album. <laughs> I said, what? The new Beatles album is being released here. And it was a record store. Can't remember the name of it. It was on Telegraph Avenue, and a couple weeks later, I was at some party, and this kid brought out his record, and he had number nine. And the zero, 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 remember they had all black numbers on them? That's correct. And he had zero, 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 nine. And it was released to some record store in Berkeley, California, on Telegraph Avenue, about two blocks from campus, and that's where it was first released in the United States. They got the TV crew there to report it. Greg, I appreciate that. We have limited That's time. Awesome. I, thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Greg in Salem. So you're in a bind kind of because if Greg said something that's not true and you don't address that, then everyone will think that you think it's true. Well, I do know for a fact that the first 25 copies were shipped by Capitol Records President Stan Gordikoff. He sent the Beatles directly the first 25 numbered copies, but he kept copy number five as he considered himself the fifth Beatle, and the Beatles got the other 24, and Ringo got number one, which he, about a year or two ago, auctioned off for huge dollars. How many? 
How many? I don't quite recall. Okay. I don't want to say a number that's oh, you not really true. You really do know a lot about but the But the first 25 copies did go to the Beatles. And it was released this past Sunday in the United States. But today is a memorable day because November 28th, 1974, John Lennon made an appearance with Elton John on the Madison Square Garden stage and performed three or four songs with him to, uh, to pay off a bet that John had with Elton John. What was the bet about? Elton John came in to work on a track with, uh, with John Lennon, and he worked on Whatever Gets You Through the Night. Yeah. And so John was a little down on his song. He said, nah, this is not a very good song. And Elton said, this is going to be number one. He said, no, it won't be number one. He said, I bet you it's going to be number one. And John goes, well, I don't think so. And Elton says, this is what we'll do. I bet you, and if it goes to number one, you join me on stage and make a surprise appearance at one of my shows. And John thought it would never happen, but it got to number one, and he paid off his bet by going to Madison Square Garden November 28th, which was Thanksgiving Day, 1974, and performed Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. I saw her standing there, and whatever gets you through the night, and possibly one more. I love this. It's so fun to hear you talk so thank knowledgeably you. about the Beatles. Now, mm, thank you. This is Chachi, Chachi Lepret, Beatles expert. Well, He's done many Beatles uh, shows. Mm-hmm. He really is. More about the White Album, since this is White Album time. We just did a party on Sunday with WUMB, at the Hard Rock Cafe, had a full house where we did a, uh, an afternoon celebration of the White Album. I had a friend of mine, Eric Taros, who has a huge collection of Beatle films, and we showed films, we talked about the album. It was pretty amazing. And I remember when the record came out, I bought mine at the Harvard Coop. I always bought my stuff at the Harvard Coop, and right around the corner was Discount Records and, and uh, Columbia Records, two record stores there. But I bought my White Album there, and it was totally... My God, I have to pay $11.98 for an album because yeah. albums were like five ninety eight. Yeah. But it was a double album set, blew us away. You got the poster with the lyrics on the back. You got the four eight by 10 photos and you got an album that was rich in DNA. There was so much on this record. It was pretty amazing, the different sounds. I mean, they had so many different kinds of songs. They had dance tunes, well, uh, old... Um, uh, you had av- avant-garde with Revolution Number no. Nine. You had Paul with the show tune. You had rock. You had everything. You had sing-along music. It was all there. It was just rich in DNA. There was so much to offer in this four-side album set. It was pretty amazing. And the new re-released, remastered album sounds fantastic. It has never sounded better. You liked it right away. I loved it. When you listen to it now, the new remastered versions, you hear things that you've never. Uh, ever heard before in sounds. Critics weren't thrilled with it? You mean the remastered one they no, loved? The, the Originally original. it got panned. Yeah. You know, because uh, they thought it was uh, disjointed and it had no, you know, after, the, listen, Sgt. Pepper came out before that and you had the colors of, of the album cover, you had all those images, you had the concept record and it was rich with layers of music. Well, the Beatles took a step back and they went the complete opposite direction stripped down the album cover to just plain white and they just went in and they made a rock and roll record and there was a lot of uh, problems going on at the time they were fighting amongst themselves yoko was new on the scene so she was showing up but when you hear the new album especially the box set they put in snippets of of talking and you hear the joy of the beatles performing with one another talking and laughing so i think the new album uh 
you know, dispels some myths about the Beatles not getting along because there were moments when they got along when they were playing together. I and guess it's a good time to ask about Paul. We've talked about it a little before. Paul was kind of a, I don't know, I don't want to use the word mean or, or the word bummer, but somewhere in there, he was tough to work with, I guess. Well, Paul always wanted to perform. He was a performer. He was a showman. George, back in 65, didn't want to tour anymore. He had it with being a Beatle. But, you know, the band continued. But he didn't want to tour anymore. And when they, when they flew out of San Francisco with the Candlestick Park show, their last show, George was noted as saying, I'm not a Beatle anymore. They had just had enough. But they took a vacation and they went into the studio and made a bunch of great albums. Uh, but Paul always wanted to perform. He was always pushing the band to do more. When Brian Epstein died, Paul kind of slipped into that role. John was like, I don't want to do that. Paul was like, we should go and let's get together and do a show. And George's like, I don't want to do a show. Uh -huh. But Paul always pushed. And, and he did things on the side that probably weren't that great. I mean, you don't tell George Harrison how to play a song. Yeah, didn't he say, there was a, this issue that happened, this moment. Just talk about that. When he said, did George say, yeah, you want to play it? Go ahead and play Well, it, it was during the Let It Be movie. And that's, that's part of why the Let It Be movie has not been available. Because Paul, to, for, for a Beatle project to go forward, all four need to agree. So it would be Paul, Ringo, and the estates of George and, and John. Paul has never agreed to release Let It Be because he doesn't want the world to see what the Beatles... What, how what mean it, he is. Yeah, he had told Paul, he had told George how to play a song and George was offended by it. And, uh, and he said, listen, Paul, if you want me to play, I'll play. If you don't want me to play, I won't play. And he got very, very angry. And Ringo walked out of the uh, White Album sessions because he was angry, disappeared for two weeks. They couldn't find him. Then they finally tracked him down. He was on a yacht with, he was on Peter Sellers' yacht in Sardinia on a vacation for two weeks. I mean, you figure, and, I, and I, I went to an event earlier tonight with Rob Sheffield, and he made this point on stage that for Ringo to walk out of the Beatles, I mean, there must have been problems That's going bad, on. He's easy to get along with. Yeah, and so he walked out, but they tracked him down. They sent him a note, hey, Ringo, we want you back. We love you. You're the best rock and roll drummer in the world. And he came back, and the story goes, his drums were decorated in flowers. But even he disappeared for two weeks. Wow. So there was a, and, and a lot of people thought that the White Album was so disjointed that it was actually four different you know, solo sides. Um, okay. But it's a great record. So we'll start with your least favorite. Beatles song. Is that one you just think, God, that's awful? <sighs> well, many people would probably agree with Obla D, Obla D. Obla D? What about Octopus's Garden? You like that no, one? No, that's a nice children's Obla song. Obla D? Okay. Obla D. Obla D. It's a Paul Diddy. Okay. My favorite Beatle album has always been Meet the Beatles. Meet the Beatles. It was the first album I bought. It brings me back to that very moment when I put the that needle down that Radio Shack record player and put the needle down on the album. And whenever I look at it and listen to it, it brings me right back to Beatlemania. So I love Meet the Beatles. I love Beatles 65. I'm a fan of the American Beatle albums, not quite a fan of the UK albums, only because I grew up with the American albums. You still have a turntable? Still have a turntable at Good. home. Good. You got fancy speakers? No, 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 not fancy speakers. Is that a Radio Shack turntable? No, no, we have a very nice system at home. But, uh, you know, I, I do my show. I have a two-hour show on UMB, and I play the records. I play vinyl. You play vinyl only on your show. That's good. Not only. I mean, okay. In addition. 
All right. We play CDs and vinyl and 45s and albums, and I I love uh, it's playing It's all available vinyl. On, on vinyl, though, right? Everything's available on vinyl. So why not just play all vinyl? Sorry. Because I only have one turntable in the studio. Oh! Oh. We'll fix that. Yes. Okay. But, you know, without the White Album, um, there would have been no pet sounds. Brian Wilson was... He said that? Yeah. Well, um, the White Album inspired... No, I, let me see if I, I get to get this right in my head. A rubber soul. Oh, God, I'm messing this up. <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be I am an ex expert. It's late. It's 1.30 <laughs> in the morning. Um, the uh, Pet Sounds inspired Sergeant Pepper is what I'm trying to say. Okay. So thank you very much. All right. Jesus. You so got your me favorite, you told us your favorite album. Yes. You didn't tell, tell us your favorite Beatle. Well, when I first started watching, the, uh, being a fan of the Beatles in 64, uh, Ringo was my favorite. But then I moved away from Ringo and I moved towards um, George as Yay. my favorite Beatle. And he still is. And why? Because I thought the guy had a lot of courage uh, to be in the shadow of two of the greatest songwriters in the world. And then he established himself as a great songwriter as well. So the, the answer to the next question would be the same, I'm guessing. What's your favorite Beatle as a solo artist? Even more so George, right? Same with George. I love George's solo catalog, but I love them all. And uh, I love All Things Must Pass, Living in the Material World, which is a beautiful album. Great record. I'm a big fan of George. I interviewed George. He was one of the nicest in the guys I've ever talked to. Tell me about that circumstance. Where it, were you? The it whole, was a the telephone conversation yeah. with me, uh, George, and Carter Allen, and Carter and I interviewed him over the phone. And what happened was, after the uh, interview, the record rep said, get some Beatle albums that you want George to sign, and we'll send them to him, and they'll sign them for you. So I got him a bunch of Beatle albums, and the record rep sent them to Hawaii to George's house. George autographed them all and sent them back to us. Who's that record rep? Mike Simons. Wow. Yeah. That's a good move. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty amazing. And... Uh, so, I'm, I've you know this is a lot of people say this, but I'm I was truly truly blessed to have the Beatles determine my career, and then BCN it was the greatest thing that ever happened. I never I never left BCN. BCN left us. So you uh, interviewed others, other Beatles and other Beatle people, including and let's go through give us a little bit of color on all these George Martin. I interviewed George Martin with Charles Lacordaire on his morning show. That was just an amazing time. Um, and the great thing about BCN was anything could happen, and it did. In the mid-'80s, Oedipus knew I was a huge Beatles fan, and so he came up to me in the hallway one day, and he said, Hey, Chachi, you like the Beatles, right? I said, Yeah. I said, I love the Beatles. I'm a collector. I got a lot of stuff. And Great. You're going to have a Beatles show starting this Sunday night. I'm like, You're kidding. And that's how I got my first Beatles show. It's called Get Back to the Beatles on Sunday nights, 6 to 8 on BCN. That's how it went, too. That's how it went. I know. You that's know, cool. if you were a fan and you knew how to knowledge, Oedipus would use you. Yeah, that's right. I had to do this thing. You probably remember this, another promotion. A Bowie A to Z. Do you remember yes. we played every Bowie song? In 1983, every Bowie song that existed. And even in 1983, which is like, what, 30 years ago? Mm -hmm. Or more. The A to Z took 22 hours. Oh, my God. You know, and not every song's a hit. No. <laughs> we played every song, including the songs that had multiple versions, language versions, mm -hmm. like Heroes. We did play them in a row. 
Which you never would do now. No. You play oh, no. this seven-minute song three times, one German, one French, and one English. Uh, my favorite Bowie record's TVC15. Great album. Fantastic but, album. Uh, what about Yoko Ono? Um, Let's talk a little uh, bit about Yoko. I'm sure, sure you talk about her a lot. Yoko um, was the first female on a uh, Beatle album. She was on the White Album singing uh, Hey Bungalow Bill uh, with John. So you hear Yoko's voice. Huh. And she came onto the scene. Um, and she actually went to Paul first. And Paul said, you should go see my buddy John. He'd be into this kind of avant-garde stuff. And that's how they met. And, and uh, John went to a an installation of hers, right? He went to an art installation and he thought, oh, this is just the usual thing. But then there was a ladder in the middle of the floor there and you climb the ladder and there's a uh, magnifying glass hanging by a string and you go up to the top of the ladder and you have a magnifying glass to, and you use it to read a word that's on the ceiling there. Yeah. And the word was yes. And John has said many times, if it said no, I would have been put off and walked away, but it said yes, it was positive, and I had to meet this girl. Huh. I had to meet this woman, and that's how it started with Yoko, and I've never had a problem with Yoko. I've interviewed her many times, and very nice lady, and uh, she has carried on the legacy of John very well, I, I believe. Do you know these people? I mean, she would know if someone said, you know, Chachi Lepret up in Boston, she would say yes. I don't know if she would know that. Ringo would. Yeah, because I've had Ringo on a bunch of times, and he knows my name. When he, when he hears my name, he knows it's me, and I have friends now that work with him. So I've had Ringo on the show about six or seven times. I've had Paul on a few times, George, and then everyone in the inner circle. Pete Best is a friend who just so, celebrated his birthday last Sunday. So you interviewed him? Yes, Pete has been on many times. Tell me about him. Pete is an amazing guy. Um, he didn't. It didn't work well with the Beatles because I'll tell you why. The girls loved him more than the others. He had a James Dean look about him. He combed his hair back. He didn't comb his hair like the others. He was a rocker. He was very broody. He never smiled. There was one show, in fact, in 1961, where they put his drums out in front of the other three because he was the most popular. And, um, you know, the audition, George Martin thought that his drumming wasn't up to par. But there's been a lot of theories uh, through the years that it was, you know, ego-based. Uh, but nonetheless, did you ever ask George Martin that? No, I did not. That was a sh that 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 interview was not. No, I didn't ask him because it would be too negative and weird, right? Yeah, you you gotta you gotta you gotta navigate, you know, you carefully around some of these things. Alienate the guy. Yeah, and you don't start the interview with that. You yeah. gotta get into his good graces. Yeah. Um, but Pete you know, was uh, dumped by the Beatles. And man, it must have been hard to live through the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because at one point, he had a couple other bands that didn't go anywhere. And then he was a baker for a while. He worked at the post office. Worked uh, at Polaroid? He didn't work at Polaroid. Yeah. But, um, so he had to live that way, knowing that he was the, the guy that the Beatles fired. But years later, he finally, you know, was paid off Good. I was going to ask if you in ever, a handsome they ever threw fashion. Him a bone. They well, what happened was when they started putting out the anthology albums, they released a few songs of which Pete was drumming on. Oh. And the estimate was that he made about eleven million dollars or so from that. How so, rich is uh, say Ringo? Ringo's worth um, uh, upwards to around maybe six hundred million, something like that. Uh, John's far far more than that. Paul is a billionaire. Uh, George is far more than Ringo. 
because uh, George and the other two, you know, John and Paul, they have publishing rights. Ringo doesn't have as many publishing rights, but Ringo is very, very wealthy nonetheless. He's a Beatle. And Paul, we didn't talk about your interview with Paul, did we? We, I've interviewed Paul a bunch of times. Uh, 1984, when he put out Give My Regards to Broad Street, the movie, uh, Oedipus flew me uh, along with Tom Sandman, because Tom Sandman was a huge Beatles right. fan. And there's another example. If you're a fan of a particular music and there's an, and there's an opportunity, Oedipus the, would give it to you. He'd take care of you. So he said, okay, Chachi, you're going to fly to New York. Tom, you're going to go with him. You both love Paul. So go and watch this movie and interview him. Because so he knows we, if, you, if you love them, you're, you're going to know the most about them. Yes. And so he sent us, and that was great. 1990, I interviewed Paul backstage at... Um, Foxborough Stadium or Sullivan Stadium at the time, and uh, we Carter and Carter was there as well, and we interviewed him uh, in a trailer. You get nervous? Sure. Oh yeah, I get nervous every time I interview a Beatle. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. How do you deal with that nervousness? You just try to um, be prepared. You have to uh, navigate. Go back to navigating the questions and make sure you you. Uh, Make him feel comfortable. And the thing with Ringo, his people always say, don't ask about the Beatles. Don't do this. Don't do that. But then when you get Ringo on the phone or in person, it's just it's, it's just his people protecting him. He'll talk about the Beatles. He'll talk about whatever you want. And yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure that you want to not ask the same question that everybody mm -hmm. else does. No interviewer wants to be that. Yeah, like one time I asked him about his mom. So that set a nice yep. tone for him. Uh, asked about uh, his charity that sets the stage and then we get into other things and I've had many great conversations with Ringo funny funny guy he's just a very sweet man um, and so that was that was great Cynthia Lennon Cynthia Patty was very Harrison. sweet Patty very sweet two great people who were in the middle of the eye of the hurricane and uh, I think Cynthia was uh, mistreated by John in terms of him you know, um, shacking up with Yoko and divorcing Cynthia. Cynthia only walked away with like $100,000 back in 1966. Yeah. like Ringo would throw her a mill. Yeah, well, money was uh, John. but that, No, and just Ringo now. Oh, yeah. It's like, he's got all this money and she's got, she only got 100 grand. It's like, well, Cynthia's on. passed away. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she passed away a bunch of <sighs> years ago. But she, she has such dignity and grace and I met her at the station. She was on tour with Ray Coleman promoting a book that he wrote about the Beatles. I wrote about John Lennon, I should say. She was very, very kind. Patty Harrison I've had on the show. Layla, um, the woman who uh, Eric Clapton yeah. wrote, wrote the song about Layla. And she and George got a divorce, and then she married Eric Clapton, and then Eric Clapton and Patty got a divorce. But Patty was a great, great, great lady. So, Chachi, Lopret, you yes. are without question the man. It's really cool. Uh, it's interesting that the only time I get to hang around with folks from BCMs at work, I yeah. never. And it's good. It's quality time too. It's you sit down and you you talk for an hour and a half. That wouldn't happen anywhere but the. Well, I do like the one on one with you here, Bradley. Yeah. I love coming in on the show and and talking Beatles and everything else because we have so much to talk about. We've been friends for thirty plus years, and I want to thank you. And uh, again, you know, being here with you is a lot of fun, and talking Beatles is great. And I also want to thank the New England Wildlife Center, this great place in uh, Weymouth that does so much for animals. And I did want to get that plug in, and you should help them out. The New England Wildlife Center in Weymouth, Massachusetts. New England Wildlife Center? Yeah. Maybe uh, we could have them as a guest, too. Yeah, they're great. You know, if you, if you see, like, a hurt raccoon or something, bring them in. They take care of them. Beautiful. So they're awesome. Okay.
Thank okay. you, Mark, for, for that. It's WBZ News Radio 1030. Thanks, Chachi. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.